Rule number two, don't make the promise. If you can't keep the deal, then just be honest. I can never die, I'm Chuck Norris. Fuck the government and fuck Boris, yeah. 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 Welcome to Blethered, this is part 2 of episode 16 with Labour MP and Shadow Minister for Scotland, Paul Sweeney. Coming up in part 2, Paul and I talk about loads of things including Scotland's population statistics, facts and figures, both historical and future projections, what immigrants contribute to our society culturally, financially and professionally, the reality of people fleeing war and devastation who are then classified as asylum seekers and refugees in the UK, dispelling the lie that doctors, lawyers and brain surgeons leave their home nation to come and live in a deprived area of Glasgow on just a few pounds a week because it's a lot better than where they were. We talk about the need to preserve working class communities and why we need to build on them and we chat about what Paul's working week looks like and where his time is distributed. Paul's a very focused and dedicated representative of Glasgow North East. You can check his voting record for yourself and his participation in debates. He's not a self-serving careerist, he cares about his community and his constituency and I find that admirable. The topic of mental health in the modern world is a recurring theme on Blethered and something that will always be discussed with openness and honesty when it's relevant and when appropriate. Now being an MP in this day and age is a stressful and demanding role and Paul talks about the impacts those demands had on him and his own mental health. He speaks candidly and bravely about seeking professional help with some aspects of his mental health and how cognitive behavioural therapy helped, along with his implementation of mindfulness training. The reason I say speaking bravely is because it's not easy to do that. It's easy to listen to it and you might think, you know, that's a, a very straightforward and easy thing to talk about. It isn't. I still haven't even spoken about my own things and I'm running this podcast. So I think that says everything. So... A big thank you goes to Paul and everybody else who's spoken so honestly and openly about their own issues. You're really helping people, believe me. As always, I hope you enjoy the podcast and please remember that Blethered fully endorses the message of fuck the government and especially fuck Boris. Enjoy! you know that most immigrants coming into this country actually are a net contribution to society? Actually, do you know that the Scottish population um, is going to have 80% increase in its pensioners, but only a 1% increase in its working age population in the next 20 years? Do you know that uh, from 1900 to, sorry, from 1800 to 1900, the Scottish population increased by 140%, largely with Irish immigration to to Scotland because of the potato famine. Mm -hmm. Do you realise during the 20th century, the Scottish population only increased by about 3%? -hmm. Now it's, you know, just growing and no more. So, like, you you know, do you not recognise that, you know, Scotland at its best when it was the most successful industrial country in the world was actually because it was massively growing with huge cities being built, like Glasgow, which grew from a population of, like, 30,000 to over a million within 70 years you know but that's that's the yeah. reality like this idea that our country's full is crazy it is absolutely absurd and you know. they, they 
people coming from from other nations to come to to Scotland or, or to the UK, they make our country better. They make it a better place to be. They contribute so much. Well, the same folk that go for a, for a curry on a Friday night and never think twice about the reality. Of how did that cultural thing be established in Glasgow? Exactly, I know. You know, we're sitting across from the Shish Mahal where the chicken tikka masala was supposedly invented. I feel, I know, I, know. Know, I, I, so, I feel like, yeah. and it's a responsibility of people to really stand up and, and you know, and the the wave of this. I don't know what you call it, xenophobia and racism. It is up to people to stand up and stand shoulder to shoulder with people who, who are on the receiving end of that to be saying, no, you are welcome here, no, you are wanted here, and you do make it better here. What I would like to say is maybe we could all chip in, and if anybody doesn't like it, then they, they, we can send them to a wee island and you can go and stay in a nice wee walled white place. You can build a wall and you can stay well, in and nobody bother you. I always find it quite funny that, um, you know, one of the really harrowing examples, like, to be honest with you, becoming an MP... Um, it's funny because I've born and grew up in the area my whole life. No, you know that way it's, it feels comfortable because I know the whole area. Yeah. You see a particular street, you see a particular district. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, I, I can, I can visualise it, I can understand it. You know, it's not alien to me in any sense. Um, but when you become an MP, it's almost like a total rediscovery of the area you lived in your whole life because mm-hmm. there's aspects to it that you never saw as a as a private citizen. Yeah. So it's almost like I kind of it blows your mind a wee bit actually to see what's going on. Um, when you get around it properly and properly delve into what people are doing because you're more of a community you're engaging more with it mm-hmm. you know usually just hang out with your pals you're doing your own thing you don't really necessarily engage with it one of the most incredible things is really getting to know the refugee population and the asylum seeker population right. and just understanding the open prison that exists there mm-hmm. now I had a family Kurdish family they came to this country with their kids over 18 years ago these kids, well, they arrived when they were babies, basically. They've grown up here their whole lives, but they've still been trapped in the whole asylum scheme for the 18 years. Mm-hmm. So they're like young adults. They, one of the boys um, is a Commonwealth-level boxer, wow. um, but can't leave Scotland, can't leave the UK because he's immigration status. So he can't do international competitions. This is this has been fixed now right, after good. I kind of helped them, but I'm just talking about the situations uh, I found it. And then, and, and then the, his older brother had just graduated from Aberdeen Uni with like an engineering degree. Couldn't he'd got applied for a job at um, Tallis over in Govan, and he'd got like through the final phase, and he was like, right, you want the job? Just got to do security checks, mate. And then they're like, where's your passport? And that that's uh, a shambles that's got the job and then like his sister they changed the rules in the meantime so his sister couldn't get funding to get student fees and that because she didn't have any ID mm. um, she got her unconditional to do law at Cali um, people so, can contribute yeah, so much yeah and then again you're meeting people who like there's another family it's a Pakistani Christian family they're um, in Postal Park but the dad's like a software developer, the mother's a midwife, mm-hmm. you know, the NHS got staff shortages. Aye. You know, there's surgeons, there's lawyers that have fled Syria that I'm dealing with, there's scientists. They're all sitting, not able to work, not able to do anything. That's me. You know, even, and even, even drive a car. You know, and, and it's like, what a disgraceful destruction of talent. I know. But not just the loss to the community of not being able to get that. But you get people that are like, well, they, they can't, you know, it's taking a job away from somebody else. I'm like, I, I'm sure uh, Mohammed, the neurosurgeon's really, you know, competing with <laughs> Aldo for Bologna on on the, on the jobs front. You I know, know. I you know, know, it's like, you know, it's just like it's not a, 
It's, it's just not comparable. You Do know, you know <laughs> a, an example of recognising that waste of talent and obviously a highly controversial, and you're talking war crime level, but you know Operation Paperclip in the wake of World War Two, yeah. when the Americans basically handpicked the, the, the most, I don't know, advanced and... and influential minds and took them to America to work with you know NASA working in their space yeah, program the, the guys who developed the the rockets in Nazi Germany and stuff uh-huh. like that and, and developed like people, the Apollo space program uh, people, I mean and, and yeah. that was there was so many people who should have been essentially who should have been shot by firing squad for their participation in Nazi Germany the United States recognised you know, this level of t- talent is something that can and, and intelligence influence is something that's going to really help drive our country and yeah. they took them and they're like right we're going to just forget about that because we, we, we value what you can do so the fact that we've got people sitting who as you say are software developers and you know ha- yeah. trading lawyers and stuff and they're just sitting there and wasting what's, what's really inspiring though is the generational change so like Springburn Academy is a good example mm-hmm. so that school now has like 40 different languages spoken in it mm-hmm. um, what was quite powerful is I talked about the, that family, the Pakistani family um, they got two sons, one's four, uh, was it 13 and 16 I think um, and they're at, the, they're at the school just now straight A students, brilliant we, we guys um, you wouldn't know they weren't born and bred here, they've got like I, I keep saying this but it's not necessarily the case, but they've got like Glasgow accents uh-huh. so you wouldn't even know you know, just the, one the, of us yeah you know, talking to them, they're fine. You know, they're just normal kids, and the the way the school kids have reacted to the fact that they might be t- torn away from that community and sent back to mm-hmm. a, a country that where they are at risk because their family members have been killed because mm-hmm. of their religion, um, is it's just it's just blown their minds. The young people, but what was quite powerful was seeing them down at the Home Office in Govan uh, with a petition that the whole school had organised with thousands of signatures. And the whole school pretty much was down there, like to support the kids when That's, they went in to get their interviews. That could make me great. You know, kid. but that was powerful. You know, we're down there with the head of the Church of Scotland handing in the petition and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And that was powerful because you're like, the youngsters get it in a way that maybe their parents or their grandparents don't. Mm-hmm. You know, and the same with the wee boy um, that I helped. Uh, so I've two have raised at PMQs since I got elected. One was that family, uh, the, the Batch family, and the other was the wee kid Georgie, ten years old. His um, his mum fled Georgia after his dad was killed by Russian gangsters, um, and then they, th- they came after the mum and the kid because uh, it was some sort of debts, whatever. But basically, the mum had a, a terrible disease and she died um, unexpectedly, leaving the kid oh an orphan. God. And then the ten-year-old boy who'd gr- grown up in Glasgow since he was three, so three years old to ten years old. That's like basically your whole life in Glasgow. You don't mm-hmm. really know any different. Aye. So he's then suddenly saying, "said he goes to Elmville Primary in Springburn," and uh, he was suddenly getting told, "Oh, you'll need to go back to Georgia." Fuck's you sake. know, and not only has he had his mum like died, you know, so it was dreadful. You know, it was that point where like you know, if the kid has to be like kept in a safe house in my constituency office, it's going to have to happen. You know, Aye. but like. What was amazing again is the mobilisation that happened around that, you mm-hmm. know. And he actually got up and was like to the prime minister, "Look, this is what's going on. Go and yeah. just deal with it." And almost shamed her into then, you know, like two days later, there was a letter came through. Oh, I, the boy can stay till he's finished his school at least, and we'll look at it again. Uh-huh. Once he's been here, um, another few years will be fine. though but it's just like 
imagine having that psychological tension over you all the oh time. Oh my god! And you'd, like, like I had met like when there was a big thing kicked off last summer when Circle that run all the temporary accommodation for asylum seekers in the city, one of these big privatised companies. That's do they run. not also? Am I maybe completely wrong? Do they not operate in prisons? They do. I. They do all sorts of stuff. Right. It's basically a company that was set up to leech off the state. Mm. So it's a, it's like a, it's one of these companies that's basically set up by Tory Tories I was, to, oh, to to benefit from the privatisation of state. Just about to say, yeah. I bet you the Tories have got some financial interest. It in does. It's Rupert Soames who runs it, who's Nicholas Soames, the Tory MP's brother grandson of Winston Churchill. You know, but um, another what, war criminal. <laughs> but that's another conversation. Uh, well, it? indeed, but the uh, the uh, a complex uh, history, you know. But like the the issue is um, the, the issue with that is. You had guys who were so scared. Well, there was one case where the, co- the local community came around to, to kind of rally around. Um, they they kind of created picket lines outside some of the flats that were mm-hmm. at risk of getting people evicted from. There was an Iranian guy, if I remember correctly, who was in one of the flats in Royston. And uh, once the picket had left for the day, someday a neighbour, I think, must have glued his locks. So he thought the locks had been changed and he was getting kicked out of his flat. So he attempted suicide. Oh, fuck you. Know, and then ended up in the hospital because he was so scared of being sent back to his torturer in Iran. That's you know, the thing. So that, like, I just imagine the tension and the psychological pressure that these people are under. And then we're hammering them like, wait, you're just here to fucking leech off the state. Exactly. You're just here to this, that, the and thing. The thing I was, was kind of going to point at as well now. So I'm from North Glasgow, so I, I'm allowed to make this, right. this observation. Do you. Uh, would anybody honestly believe that somebody would travel thousands of miles to come and stay in Royston or in in Springburn or somewhere? And that is not me denigrating the area. That's where I'm from. That's where I grew up my whole life. I mean, a lot of the you know a lot of the families are grateful, Aye, you know, for the, the for the hospitality. But no, they're, not, they're, they're not here because of the choice. And the reality is, a lot of these people fled very comfortable backgrounds. Uh-huh. They had, they had nice big houses with swimming pools. Yeah, they had good jobs. They were at universities. They were teaching. They were lecturers. They were scientists, etc. They were on decent money. They were part of the elite. Yeah, if you like, of the, those particular countries. Uh-huh. But because of the political situation, they basically had to flee with the clothes they were standing up mm-hmm. in. Their house is now a bomb crater somewhere. Yeah, you know, burnt a shell, and you honest, know their friends and family have been machine gunned in front of them. Yeah, you know, so like, if you honestly believe, they're basically they're just coming, glad to be alive. You if know? you think, if you think the one bedroom flat and somewhere in the north of Glasgow is the gravy train, then you you no. you need a reality check. But the thing is, they're bringing to this country huge opportunity. Like those yeah. two kids I talked about at Springburn Academy, they want to go to uni and do astrophysics and stuff <laughs> like that. You know, <laughs> so they're like they're really bright kids. You yeah. know. You know, and that's like a huge opportunity. But also, big challenge for the community is like we talk about. You know, you say Springburn, Postal Park, blah blah blah. Uh, the bigger challenge is how do you rebuild communities like that? And you know, often people go, "I as soon as you get to a certain age, I've I've made a, I've made all right. I've done all right for myself. Mm-hmm. I've got a decent enough job. I'm getting out of here. Mm-hmm. So by getting out of there, you're just leaving the community to, as is. As is, it's not getting any better." So the the challenge got to be, how do you keep folk in the area even if they're doing well for themselves? Mm-hmm. That because is, that's how you break the cycle of poverty. Join us in episode the part two of this episode <laughs> where we reveal how we're going to do that. No. Yeah, but that's that's the biggest challenge we've got to deal mm-hmm. with. And part of the solution is bringing in people who are grateful to the community and what they've done for them are, are going to do well mm-hmm. and actually want to be part of it. So they're actually going to help build the community. Mm-hmm. 
you know, I look at New York, you know, it was built on the back of migrants and immigrants, you know, Little Italy, uh, you know, Chinatown, the Irish the population. Irish, the Irish population. You know, uh, like you know, the whole city fro- thrived as a world capital because Aye. of migration from around the world. Same as London, like there's thousands and thousands of languages. Why did London vote remain? Because it's got a massive tradition of immigration. Mm-hmm. Why did areas like you know the north of London had a, a Polish population since the Second World War because all the Polish fled from Poland during the Nazi invasion mm-hmm. to fight in the RAF. Mm-hmm. You know, who helped us win the Second World War. You know, know. so that that local population don't care about immigration because it's just normal so you know. I saw a clip of a woman in London and she was screaming at uh, people speak, people speaking Portuguese right. and saying you better speak English when you're here and um, they're like well we're from Brazil so we're speaking a language yeah. and she said I well when I'm in Brazil I speak Brazilian Swear to God, if anybody, I'm not even making that up. She was pulling a dog. So if anybody's oh, listening, they're trying to remember. She's pulling a wee dog, and the wee dog looked terrified. That's what I was most concerned about. I was like that poor wee thing. It just dog's absolutely shitting itself. And the dog was like, "No, like you're off your fucking nut." By the way, but she's screaming. She's screaming. I, sp- I speak Brazilian. I'm like, one. Oh, Jesus, I'm going to take a stab in the dark and see you've never been to Brazil because it's really, Aye. really far. Um, and you certainly don't speak Brazilian when you're Obrigado. Nah, I doubt that, you know, but talking about um, you know, how do we how do we retain people in communities, how do we rebuild these communities and it kinda got me thinking as well, what you're saying, you know, about how that we discussed earlier there was the um the really increased participation in politics, whether even just discussion in work or discussion in social media, people becoming more active and all that and you said there was a wee bit of a a loss of hope, you know, the next day, you know, when the 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 result was announced. I just wanted to kind of touch more on that. When you say a loss of hope, like, what did you mean in terms of, did you just feel a bit deflated? Like, what was it? It didn't feel like a success. It just felt like a relief. Mm. Like, I felt like, I'll be quite honest, I didn't think independence would have done anything other than harm the fortunes of the working class. Mm. So, you know, I studied economics at uni. My lecturer did a fairly, like, full-on analysis of it. He was saying, look, um, you can't really, you can't really run the country on the back of oil revenues. So it's changed from year to year. The projections have massively fluctuated since then. So now, basically, the equivalent of ten billion pounds a year would be ripped out of Scottish public finances. You know, I'm just making aye, a point. You know, aye, but, aye. but so I was scared about this stuff. Uh-huh. You know, I was like, what's going to happen with the future of the currency? You know, all these things are important issues that I don't feel have been addressed. I'm worried about this being a massive financial detriment. So I'm like, I don't I want to avoid that. How do I how do we find a way forward that satisfies the desire for autonomy? How do we find a way that satisfies the desire for control um without without destroying the sort of foundations financially that, that make the country prosperous? Mm-hmm. So that's what I meant by baby and bath work was like there's got to be a way through this that marries the you know the best of both worlds if you like and that's you know like part of me also I mean maybe it's delving into it but part of me almost reflects on a hundred years or so since Irish independence and obviously the Irish history is much more complex than Scotland's Scotland was a willing participant in the British project if you like Mm. Um, it was part of the empire it, you know Scots went around the world and colonised countries and so on it wasn't the same relationship but 
Um, and part of me was thinking a, cent- a century of bloodshed in Ireland well it's been more than that but I mean the last particularly since yeah. 1916 um, that whole episode the creation of the, the Northern Ireland and this partition of Ireland um, I mean goodness could all of that have been avoided had the British state been more cooperative about the realities it doesn't seem to be an inherent nature in the nature of the British state I know what you mean you know what I mean and it's like that frustration it's like why are we forcing people it's a a bit like what I was talking about if you can't flex you're going to snap you know Mm -hmm. and fragment and cause tension and cause potentially violence and that's and that was my you know that was my frustration about the whole situation I Um, I understand that I'm 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 always I'm not saying like I'm oh, I'm more than happy to discuss with somebody <laughs> um, who makes an articulate point as if like no I am the authority or as an independent supporter but you know if somebody has a genuine concern um, you know whether it's like economically linked or whatever I do wonder how much though of the you know in terms of saying we're placing a lot of importance on oil revenue mm. I mean I think that sometimes I'm not saying that's what you're saying but I think that sometimes downplays the the potential and the capabilities that Scotland has well, as an economic it's force. It's a massive success. Um, I just was confirming the name, obviously with the Clare Ridge development of a Shetland is, is a huge a huge finding. You know, in 2014, maybe at that time, you know, Scottish independence wasn't the best thing. Maybe it wasn't. I think now, what, we're five years on, with, well, you know, with that discovery, which is obviously a massive, would be a potential massive boost to the economy, but that's kind of like that's a different debate I, I do feel it's a complicated one it gets into all sorts of um, I mean you could have an entire podcast on it and it'd be, very, it'd be very fucking boring because you're getting into whole, the yeah. whole thing around well oil revenues you know Norway inflation yeah. uh, blah 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 I think for me and stuff but, but it's, but it's uh, I take your point I think I think there's a way in which the, the, the resources are the of the state can be marshalled where Scotland's a net beneficiary uh, but also has in, has sufficient um, decision making power to be able to maximise the benefits of it mm. and I think it's about co-sovereignty if you like or pooling of sovereignty rather than it being, being about unionism versus independence you know and I think that's I think that's where we need to move to as a country if we're going to heal the division it's such a complex you know. one he, he didn't you know the Hearing the, the cries come from Westminster about you know we're better off alone, we're better off not relying well, on I others. That as I, much know, as I, I, do, I know you yeah, do, you know, I know you do. You know, but then what uh, I feel is then, yeah. the kind of point I would make is say that forty five percent voted yes. I I f- don't believe there would be too many that would go back. Whereas I think there are a lot of people who had voted no who would now maybe be. I mean, it's difficult to say. I mean, I can't really. Yeah, I can't really, hard, I can't really second guess it. You know, all I would say is you know the polling. There's a reason why the, the SNP haven't pushed immediately for another one, and it's because they want and they want polling to, to to consistently show there's a majority for it before they test it again, because they don't want to risk failing a second time, and then that would be kind of like Quebec, it would be dead and buried, mm. you know. So, but your point about focusing on the economics is a good issue because, on one hand, it does make sense, but what you'll if you watch that documentary, what they're saying is, um, like the Better Together campaign basically picked a cohort of the population that were undecided so they were like they profiled the population into like segments they were like you know basically from die hard like, yeah. like Scottish nationalist Braveheart type to 
uncertain but you know even open minded about it was in the best interests of my community sort of people that were not driven by identity but were driven more about on balance is this going to work um, and they kind of focused in on that segment and they were like hammering them with the uncertainty the risks the costs but by hammering them it was an effective strategy to make sure they fell the right side mm. in the end but the the sort of negative impact of that was it really pissed off a lot of other people yeah I, <laughs> you know so it kind of created polarisation mm-hmm. and that's what's happened in Scottish politics what, what, what I feel really sad about is there wasn't a common argument about we are a successful country um, how do we evolve that um, in cooperation with our neighbours um, how do we evolve that idea mm. you know and it's it was, it was it became this kind of breakaway versus stay together thing uh, and it was like it just became such a such a binary and negative I, I get so I was kind of just so relieved it was kind of finished with and then felt such an anger at David Cameron because that was his moment <laughs> that was it I mean it's again upper class twits I don't know what they're talking about um, you know he came out and his takeaway from the whole situation was when the country needed to be healed was to then go right we've had enough of this it's now time for the English votes for English laws and you're like yeah he said it's you know, time for English voices to be heard and I take it I take it on every point well, that you've said well, I was sitting there watching it just like my god I man. thought you <laughs> moon faced fucking cunt is what I thought when I saw that right. I don't even apologise for saying that as well no that that, <laughs> that beep this is, this is going out as is what I kind of felt I felt a real anger but I thought there was a few ways to look at it and I actually flew back um, from Barcelona to here for my cousin Jenna's 30th Jenna if you're listening Um, I flew back from my cousin's party and it was on the day that it was announced and I just felt absolute despair but then I started thinking wait a minute I've never seen my country so politically engaged you know from young and old to everybody was talking about it and we were debating it and it was constant and I started thinking to myself Okay, maybe I've really had conversations about the Barnet formula in a bus stop before. I know, no, like, and it's like, <laughs> and it's like um, I just remember thinking, like, this is that something has been born here, whether it's an an idea or whether it's a movement or whether it's just an opportunity for us to to push together in the right direction. Well, political engagement is critical, but um, the biggest challenge in my part of the world is still a lack of political engagement. Uh-huh. So in Glasgow North East, my constituency, only 51% of people voted in the last election. Mm-hmm. Sorry, tell a lie. 53% voted in the last general election, 51% voted in the EU referendum. Fucking hell. So one in two folk in that constituency don't vote. That's wild. And you get a lot of folk who are not those on, they go, ah, son, never voted in my life, and I'm not starting now, and then slam the door on you. I understand you know, the level of the um, Have you ever heard Russell Brand when he was speaking about it when he spoke yeah. to Paxman? And I felt that he did make some sort of point for example I think has it been like since the 1950s that if you were to remove the correct me if I'm wrong here if you were to remove the Scottish vote from the general election then it would it wouldn't have influenced the outcome either way the outcome would have been the same whether Scotland participated in the vote or mm. not and I'm mean, not saying that's the I reason mean, not to vote I mean the, the, I mean, it's, on one level I, I can I can see why that would be a thing but on the other hand like I believe in one person, one vote. Mm. You know I mean, and, and if you operate at a UK level, if you like, you know, 
a voter in Glasgow North East has as much power as a voter in Manchester mm-hmm. Central. You know, like it's it's kind of like I don't think there's got to be a balance struck between nation nations within the UK and the sovereignty of a single voter having the right of everybody else, the equality of the citizen to have the same right as everybody else. So it depends what it depends what bracket you're putting around it, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So like EU referendum, yeah. A UK wide vote, I take that point. Where but every by necess- necessarily every citizen had to have the same equal voting right. Yeah. The the, the issue is like traditionally Scotland used to have a lot more MPs per head of population than England because of that disparity. Um after devolution they reduced the number of MPs, so it's still overrepresented per head of population. But what the talk is like when I was talking about how do you reform the UK because it needs to reflect that reality um, is like the House of Lords for example get that to so, talk well yeah uh, you know I totally agree with that but what would you replace it with so the idea that we'll be talking about is well let's have a Senate um, a Senate of the nations and regions hmm. so that there's actually equal representation for yeah. each region and nation uh-huh. in the parliament well, so would, it becomes like a federal parliament I would love to see the implementation of the pro- proportional representation system as opposed to first past the post I think that is what yeah. you know it's either but it's, it's interesting you say that because you know you talk about the tensions of the Labour Party mm-hmm. and we talk about the tensions of the Tory party which are the two big parties in the UK um, Is your mattress making noises it never used to? Or is it sagging causing you to then it's time to get a new one. Get the best sleep at the best value with a Nectar mattress. Prices start at just $499, and you get $399 in accessories thrown in, a 365-night home trial, and a forever warranty. Go to Nectarsleep.com. Escape your everyday with out-of-this-world action. From the gritty apocalypse of the Walking Dead universe to the cyberpunk realm of The Watch and the criminal underbelly of Gangs of London, AMC Plus is more than entertaining. It's epic. Feel all the chills and thrills with Shudder's halfway to Halloween month. Experience Shudder's biggest month of horror featuring a new season of Creepshow and new movie premieres every week. All available ad-free and on demand. Start your free trial today at amcplus.com. the reason why they exist in the way they do is because of the voting system because it forces you into making a choice between winner takes all so it's two big parties will dominate that mm-hmm. so if you had proportional representation there's a very good chance that you would actually see a fragmentation of those parties uh, yeah because within the Labour Party for example you know there's there's the there's the kind of socialist wing and then there's a the kind of social democrat wing mm-hmm. which is like and then you have in the Tory party English nationalists and, and that's it. <laughs> and, well, more or less. And then you have, um, like, sort of centre-right Christian Democrat, like, sort of Angela Merkel-style Tories. Um, so you've got that kind of balance, and there's a real, obviously, tension mm-hmm. in each party. You've seen the thinking that's going on. So uh, the, the, having a proportional system would actually see the, those a realignment in British politics which would be interesting yeah I'm not saying I'm against it per se mm-hmm. but I understand don't yeah. obviously the, the complexities that could come with it um, I'll not keep you too much longer I'm no very it's fine f- yeah. are you in a rush of the, not really no just the um, what I'd like to hear a wee bit we've, we've kind of we've 
when Ray any politics, I really find that really it's inevitable, isn't it? I know. It's the only way it's going to go. Do you know? I'd like to hear. Uh, tell me about your 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 typical sort of working week. You know, obviously it's going to be hugely varied. But this morning you were in Good Morning Britain. Good morning, Good morning Scotland. Scotland, Good Scotland. So you've got a lot of media appearances. You're in the Commons. You're you're never off a plane. Aye. You know what, what does a working week look like for you? So typical working week in Parliament <laughs> would be starting the weekend. Do a constituency surgery usually takes about two hours. Um, all sorts of issues release. It can be relating to your bins, to immigration issues, to <laughs> national security issues. It, it just depends whatever turns up, um, and you get a v- variety of different people coming. Uh, then you'll usually do some sort of community event. So, for example, this afternoon I'm going off to a community barbecue um, nice. in Postle Park, Hamilton Hill. Uh, it's a bit early in the year for a barbecue, but at least the weather's well okay today. It's a lovely day um, to be totally so blue got, skies. We've got lucky. Um, so I kind of go to that. Sometimes I'll do a campaign in the constituency. So that basically means um, I'll pick an area, say like Blornock, mm-hmm. and I'll go around the doors, knock on the doors. Hi, how you doing? Local MP, you got any issues? How's it going? Just so people can see cutting about. Yeah. Because it's important. One of the things I really didn't want was to get a reputation the other MPs I've had in the past was like, oh, you'll never see you around unless uh-huh. it's an election. Uh-huh. So I've always been really keen to try and be around the area. Mm-hmm. At least folk have seen you cutting about and they're like, oh, he seems like he's keen to keep keep yeah. in with folk. So it's not just about turning up at elections. Um, so I tend to do that kind of thing. Sundays I try and keep sacred. I've, I've found a newfound appreciation for the Sabbath. It doesn't always work <laughs> out. Uh, so for example, tomorrow I'm going on to Politics Scotland. Right. So I'm doing an interview with Gordon Brewer about the latest and... Um, Brexit and so on. Uh, then it's Mother's Day tomorrow, so I'm going to try and take my mum out for, for lunch. My uh, mum will be listening and she'll know. She'll uh, be listening back to this. This will now obviously go out in a few days. Celtic are flying rain just tomorrow. So course, she's yeah. been told that I'll see you on Tuesday. Right. Not Monday because I'll still my yeah, head will be. Uh, you'll still be re- reeling one with another. Uh, aye, aye. Um, yeah. so that's, that's nice. And uh, so. my brother will probably be at that. Um, you probably know him, my brother Mark. But, uh, aye. But uh, I and um, what else is there? I try and like st- it was difficult. You become very isolated. I rarely see my mum. Uh, my pals, you can sometimes go a month without seeing them. So it's become socially isolating. Um, that's one of the, the difficult aspects of this job. To be honest with you, um, it's very difficult to to sort of maintain relationships. Uh-huh. Um, People must be understanding, though, obviously, with the type of job that you have. Yeah, I mean, it's not a big deal. You can kind of pick up with folk easy uh-huh. enough. But to start with, it was quite exhausting like, and quite isolating. And you get a bit a bit kind of crushed by it at first. But um, generally speaking, I fly down to London on Monday morning, uh, arrive in Parliament. The Parliament starts about lunchtime and it'll continue to about midnight. Go back to my flat in London. I get an allowance to rent a flat, a nice. one-bed flat. In Elephant Castle, it's about a half hour walk from Parliament. Walk back. Usually, my diet's gone out the window as well. Like I just mm. kind of eat, like on the go. Uh, crash, come back in. Tuesday's pretty full on day. You maybe have meetings with uh, charities. You maybe be attending events. Like there's all sorts of random things that can happen in Parliament. Like had a guy that grew up in Postle Park that's now running a consultancy for a pharmaceutical company. He's a reformed heroin addict. He's mm-hmm. talking about drug reform. So I've like had a meeting with him. Uh, go off to an event, celebrate apprentices with apprentice from Tenants Brewery that were down from the constituency, getting awards, hand them out. Magic. Go to speak in the chamber about an issue. Say next week there's something come up about doctors' pensions. A few constituents have written to me about that, or doctors want me to speak on that. Then you've got 
on Monday there were, uh, in Parliament there'll be a big huge issue about the next stage of Brexit what mm-hmm. votes are we going to be de- determining the different options you know so all that is carrying on uh, you know you, you, it's like the Tasmanian devil when you arrive in, in Parliament like you're always running around mm-hmm. it's just like a you know like Crash Bandicoot <laughs> you know or Sonic the Hedgehog you know uh, you're just rolling from the next appointment to the next it's back to back meetings it's back to back activity you're always racing to the next thing oh I need to get into the chamber to do a speech on this oh there's an urgent question today on whatever the UK's bombed Yemen or something or mm. blah 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 you know get into the chamber what's going on with this home office question or oh, that's a chance for me to raise a constituent's concern some text in the office going any is there a case I could maybe raise in this because this things came up suddenly in the House of Commons I could go mm. and raise a constituent case so it's just always you're always f- f- flying around doing stuff it's very very fast paced um, Wednesday's obviously Prime Minister's questions every week so at 12 o'clock that kicks in every six weeks or so I do Scottish questions which I'm at the dispatch box for so I'm a front bench shadow minister right. um, so I get to stand at the box and go like right David Mundell you know Square go. Get, a, get a grip of yourself you know I was shouting at him um, I saw him talking last night ah, he's, he's useless but uh, I shouldn't say that but there he is but ah, he just does, I mean this is the thing everybody goes on about the DUP there's 10 of them there's 13 Scottish Tories where have they been mm. they could actually if they acted as it's not called get team <laughs> get well, but it was meant to be Team Ruth wasn't it you know I mean, where have they been the whole time is she Brexit? still kicking the ball well, she she's, uh, she's on maternity leave ah right that's um, why I've not seen her uh, she's supposed to be coming back in the next couple of months but ah. but you know that that's it and then Wednesday's a full on day you're usually working till like between 8 to 10 at night every mm-hmm. night um, then you're uh, a Thursday normal weeks on a Thursday you're in at 9 in the morning you're doing um, a series of questions there's a business question every week which is basically you can raise anything you like and I usually like to plug a local constituency group or something because mm-hmm. I like to keep that connection Yeah. Um, so it's quite a lot of areas like I I, I, um, I used it one uh, week to celebrate Coyas Cafe's uh, brilliant uh, 90th anniversary yeah that's just recently um, so I did that um, which they really liked. I think it was 80th or 90th. Uh, that's you getting 50% uh, off your bill. No, the, but the, thing is, the thing is, they liked it. You know, it was a nice thing to do for the family. Absolutely. And uh, gave, exactly. them the sort of, gave them the transcript and they got it framed and all that. And Brilliant. It was nice, you know. But uh, you know, I occasionally do that, you know, like if there's a local community group or something like that, mm-hmm. you give them a wee bit of a lift by mentioning them in Parliament. So Thursday's quite good for that sort of thing. Then you try to get as few emails and bits and pieces done there's usually hundreds and hundreds of letters you'll have to do every week mm. fan so, mail well not fan mail it's usually about <laughs> issues you know what do you think about puppy farming in Southeast Asia what do you think about you know chlorinated water supply what uh-huh. do you, you know, it's sort of random very is weird. it a sea world usually you get these campaigns that are like through um, 38 degrees or change.org I get emails for you all the time uh, not for you for 38 degrees and change.org and it's like Paul Sweeney's voting in this and I'm like how the fuck like, why do they know that's relevant to me and I'm like wait a minute I've put my postcode in there before uh, right, and okay. that's how they email me every day you, I occasionally get letters through from them and then uh, it's every like, day they email me but the thing you? is it's easy for the constituent because they just need to pick, uh, hit a button and it sends out a standard letter oh, uh, right. so I'm getting these emails through so I can maybe get in, a, in an hour 300 emails uh, from folk that have signed up to this uh-huh. change dog so I've got to sit and hand sign every one of these so I'll usually like come up with a standard reply because it's a standard sort of email, uh-huh. and I'll sit and have to sign it all. Um, so I, I fly back to the constituent. I fly back up to Glasgow on a Thursday, usually Thursday afternoon or evening. Then Fridays I try to spend in the constituency. So I get into the office, meet my staff. They're based in Saracen Street on Post Park. Right. Um, get a download on what's been going on that week. What constituency cases have been happening? Maybe phone some local stuff. 
maybe have some meetings in the constituency, housing associations, blah blah blah. It's a big campaign going on locally just now, trying to see if the railway works in Springburn. Mm-hmm. So meeting at the trade unions and stuff like that to try and figure out what we're doing with that. Um, there's like hundreds of letters and sh- shit that's got to be signed off yep. from the whole week. So I'm just basically sitting at my desk, going bang, 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 getting through all that, jump between meetings, and then try and get a pint on a Friday night with my pals, you know. Quite so right. and then and then it's right and then it's back into it again the next week. So you're working about ninety hundred hours a week. Easier, oh, that's crazy. And know? I think there's anybody listening, and I, <laughs> I've definitely I have definitely seen it, and because yeah. I have delved into it to see, not spying on you, but right. seeing what you're up to at times. And I think it's very clear that your focus is in your constituency because it'd be very easy for you to say. Ah, oh, well, Thursday, Friday, I'm going to just hang about London for the weekend. Not, not the worst place in the world to be. Um, I've never seen London, really. No? Uh, oh, maybe I spent, I've maybe spent one or two weekends down there. Uh, yeah, I'm, go, I'm going to bounce, I'm going to bounce down and invite myself one weekend. <laughs> we're going to the Commons for a pint one night, and then yeah. we can have a weekend in London, because it's a great place. But no, there is a, genu- a genuine care and a genuine uh, devotion to, to the role. It's not just a pay packet, which is for... Not, not everybody, but for for some people, I perceive it as being as a pay packet, and for them advancing themselves, you seem to really care about it. I mean, it, it seems to me that that's what drives you to be doing, to be doing the job and to be doing the role because you're a servant essentially to well, everybody. I mean, there's no the thing is when you start being an MP, there's no rules. Mm-hmm. This is, well, there's rules, but there's not like a hard, it's not like joining a normal job where there's a set pattern to how you would do Aye. it. Like MPs do everything differently, so you just kind of have to kind of find your feet, test yeah. and adjust. You mm-hmm. make mistakes, you'll. Try things out that don't work. You try things out that work, and just kind of try and uh-huh. over the over time, you'll get better at it and get more confident about it. And you can get the balance between mm-hmm. parliament and constituency and stuff like that sorted. But like, um, no, my my big thing was I remember thinking I'm not going to be like one of those old school Labour MPs um, in Glasgow that, to be perfectly honest with you, disappeared mm-hmm. and you didn't really see them. There was good ones, there was bad ones, but I was like, I'm definitely not going to be like the bad ones. Yeah. Uh, I definitely want to be like really hyper, hyperactive, and hyper engaged. But the thing seems. is, it's exciting because uh-huh. if I rate, it's like all the things I've been frustrated about my local area growing up. Uh-huh. Um, I can now like say that, yeah. and people actually write a newspaper article about it or they raise it. Aye. So it's a cool thing. It's like it's like the one thing that's really annoying about being an MP is like your idea is rich but time poor. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like you've got all these ideas fizzing in your head, and you're like, oh shit, shit, shit. I've uh-huh. not got time to do it all because. Of Brexit or whatever, and, and it's frustrating because you've got all this crap going on in the background. But it'd be nice, I, I keep saying it's a bit of a curse being an MP right now because it'd be nice to be an MP in a, a calmer time mm-hmm. in politics where you could just kind of take it easy. You knew you had 2022 as the next election, yeah. I mean, the, the election could happen in the next couple of months for all Aye. I know, you know. So it's just like it's constantly weighing on your mind, like this could stop at any time. So yeah. I'm just trying to get fired into it as much as I can. There is a constant onslaught of things coming your way, but I, I personally, I can't speak for everybody else, but I'm personally really happy with your <laughs> le- level of representation. So, well, cheers. It's, I mean, so you, do sometimes you, get, you do sometimes get really shite letters from people or, mm. or ridiculous expectations. I and would, it can, uh-huh. you're like, you're, you're like, mate, if only you realised, like, how much is involved, mm-hmm. you wouldn't nearly be as demanding. You know, like, and, yeah. you know, and, uh, but the, it's nice to to be honest with you. It is a, it's a lonely job in many ways because yeah. there's only so many people that have ever done it. So it's kind of difficult to relate to unless mm-hmm. you've done it. Uh, and every constituency itself is very different. So some people will be sitting on a majority of five, uh, you know, thirty thousand 
And they'd be like, I'll get in regardless of whether I lift a finger or not. Uh-huh. You know, those MPs that will happily go off and work as second jobs and do all sorts of other stuff. Because the change was very marginal in Glasgow North East, wasn't no, it? was it? only 200, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. But it was like, again, I was only 17 to want the bookie, so it feels like a precious gift I've been mm-hmm. given to try and make a change. You know, so I'm not taking it for granted at all. Quite the opposite. I'm like trying to, you know, I'm trying to uh, put kindling on it, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And trying to, trying to make it work. How, is there a way that you deal with that? Because obviously there's a, an element of pressure. I mean, mentally it can be... It must be quite taxing on your mental health at times. Yeah, it is. Uh, I'll be quite frank about it. You know, it's. Uh, I've went through periods where I've been in a very dark place. Mm. You know, and uh, you, you know, when you first get elected, it's um, it's a weird mix of euphoria and depression. Mm-hmm. Where like it's like, oh my god, I'm in this new job. I can't believe I'm, a, I'm an MP for fuck's sake. You know, <laughs> it, you know, it's like, what's this all about? Yeah. Went from just being a mad punter to doing this. It's incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you get the kind of creeping like I need to set up an office I need to hire staff how do I even begin to do all this stuff mm-hmm. how do I set up basically what's a small business mm-hmm. you know you need to find accommodation you need to recruit people the pressures of recruiting people the pressures of getting started the context of being a small majority a hung parliament I think could fall apart at any moment there's not the certainty mm-hmm. of job security there's just all that preying on your mind try to get up to speed as quickly as possible Um then obviously the personal angle, you know, like relationships maybe like falling apart because you're not around. Mm-hmm. The kind of loneliness that might bring in, uh, the distance from your friends because you're in London all week. First time I've really lived away from Glasgow, to mm-hmm. be honest with you, for any length of time. So all these things are quite disorientating. So the first year, I ended up going through quite bad patches, you know, like mm-hmm. I'm kind of better now but you know I'll be quite honest with you I had to seek like professional help about it you know so mm-hmm. but it's just been good you know it was helpful you know I went to the occupational health people and said like I'm needing some assistance because I'm struggling to cope with some aspects mm-hmm. of it um, I've never done politics before you know I'm, I'm needing to get up to speed you know I, I went to uh, to do cognitive behavioural therapy and stuff like that to try and get help mm-hmm. you know and it's, put, it's helped me develop behaviours I've done mindfulness training um, in Parliament and stuff like that to try and help switch off. Yeah, because you always feel that like you're on, especially when you've got this thing buzzing in your phone. And your, <laughs> your phone's buzzing in your pocket all the time. I probably contribute to about five percent. And your and your uh, you know your your Twitter's always buzzing. There's some wee dick having a go at you about something, mm-hmm. and the, the temptation is to go. Who oh, the fuck are you talking to? Well, it's, it's that, and it's also like who you're talking shite I do all this Aye. ah you bastard Aye. you know uh-huh. but I realised I can't really respond because then yeah. it just looks like I've been wound up and they got a rise out of me because yeah. they're always on fishing expeditions these yeah. guys Aye. so it's, it's learning that learning that you just, need to, you just need to be serene about it quite hard to start with because you're like micromanaging everything mm-hmm. and you're obsessive about the details you're yeah. desperate to sort of make sure everything's working you know and it it can just overwhelm you you burn out to be honest with you yeah. so it's just learning that you need to kind of almost anaesthetise yourself to some aspects of it and mm-hmm. just chill chill out a bit <laughs> you know it can't be uh, easy um, with that as you say the both the professional and the personal strain that would put put some some amount of pressure on you um, yeah and obviously the context of Brexit and all that I mean the last week was hellish aye. I'm not going to lie it was shit mm-hmm. uh, you know I've had about six hours sleep in the last four days <laughs> you know well that's maybe a bit of an over exaggeration but I've heard Maybe I've maybe averaged about three hours a night, mm. and a lot of that is actually just 
you can't sleep because your head's fizzing about what's happening next week what's going to what's going to happen next how are we going to fix this and also like am I making the right decisions here am I getting is there a trap here are we getting played here what's going on mm -hmm. you know it's just there's all sorts of things playing in your mind you know and just last week you know, I got totally ambushed in the press like because I'd made a comment at a, a meeting to launch a new magazine called Tribune it's a left wing magazine uh, a, couple of weeks, a couple of weeks ago and I was in a and a and somebody had said um, how do you think the Labour Party can win the next election given it was split recently and I was like I was kind of trying to be dismissive about these guys that have broken off. Mm -hmm. I was like, it's more like a scalf than a split, to be honest with you. Know, I, was like, <laughs> I was like, well, they were always like massively anti-socialist anyway. Right. So I was like, I basically, had, you know, they'd like kind of misquoted me. I'd taken my quote out of context and mm -hmm. said I'd called for a cleansing of the Labour Party. Jesus. And then suggested that that was anti-Semitic, you know, and it was like, you know that way like all of a sudden you're getting a massive ambush in the press it's an agenda and a driven attack isn't yeah it? and you're like shit like that was totally meant and I like not in it I was like totally reflective yeah saying actually there's a problem with anti-semitism that we need to address that some of the grievances and reasons for leaving were legitimate and they need to be we just need to be honest about dealing with that mm -hmm. but on the other hand a lot of them are just self-serving careerists that yeah. burnt their bridges in the Labour Party and have decided to create cause a create attention for themselves in other ways yeah you know so I just made that point and I said maybe the point I made about cleansing was more about it had been boiling on for months so I was like thank fuck it's finally happened mm -hmm. like I just excuse my lines but it was just That's like right. I was just That's like right. I was just kind of like <coughs> at least it's cathartic yeah it feels like a break and essentially it is a cleansing and and this this cannot be misquoted because you just if anybody attempted to it is a cleanse in the sense that if they're completely against everything the Labour Party stands for as you say a self serving careerist then it is a good thing that they they have left whether it's of their own volition yeah um, so it wasn't me calling for like colleagues to be purged or yeah that. exactly you know it was more just saying like recognition that this was something that was so tense that it's just nice it's came to a head in a way it's a relief yeah, to just get it. it out of the way it's concluded like. You were always you were always humming and hawing about going just fucking go. Yeah, <laughs> you know? no, say what you yeah, really you know, wanted to say. It's just like yeah, it's just like, now we can just deal with it, yeah. you know. And it's like it's like great, you know. At least we know where we stand now, mm -hmm. you know, rather than all this nonsense carrying on. So that was my point. But that was amazing. Like, that was my first time I got properly ambushed by the right wing press. Yeah, who took to be fair, it was interesting. I like, got caught between two extremes because it was like a, the Morning Star published it. And they were saying, like, for a point, like, saying, yes, get it up, yous. Uh, aye, aye. You know, so they were kind of, like, saying it from a sort of supportive point uh -huh. of view. But I'm like, guys, that's not a helpful way of putting it. Yeah. it wasn't what I meant. Uh, but then the right-wing press picked up and were like, oh, aye. So there's Labour MPs calling for purges now. Yeah. So you end up getting caught between two extremist points. Yeah. And, and they're, they're shouting at each other and you're caught in the middle and you're the one. And it's like, he should be sacked for, for saying these comments, you know. And it's just like... Hysteria. But then, it, but then it's like... I'm just another pawn in the bigger chess game mm -hmm. that these guys are playing you know so it's just that was the thing that was being used that day to create yeah. a story tomorrow it'll you be know. somebody else but it was stressful you know it's stressful to be under that spotlight and you're like how do I see how do I set the record straight because it wasn't recorded or anything so it's just my word against yeah. you know, other people in the room were like I didn't mean it like that at all nobody even like mentioned it at the meeting it was just a comment that everybody was like oh aye, yeah fair enough did you address it on social media to clarify yeah I did but it's good that you've got that opportunity now obviously imagine 20 years ago you couldn't have yeah exactly so I mean in that sense I suppose social media is a powerful force to try and like yeah. put information out if it's used correctly but it's a double edged sword you know it really 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 is
Um, over the next, I know this is a tough question, but well, I mean, what, where do you see yourself going in in the future? Well, I genuinely think being a member of Parliament is my vocation in life. Mm-hmm. If that's fair to say, I don't. It doesn't isn't a job; it's a lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm, I'm quite happy to continue being an MP. You know, I think I'm getting better at it all the time. So, <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, I think so. I think. Do you know what? After this conversation, because I was honest, I'll never bullshit you. Right. See, when I said I didn't vote for you, and uh, I didn't for that, but do you know what? I think uh, it would be a similar if if the independence question came up. I'm, I'm backing it. I think. Um, but in terms of knowing you, getting to know you in a more detailed way, in terms of what you're doing, and also as a person, I think I could see myself. If an election was to come up, I could see myself supporting you because I well, think... Well, it's between you and the ballot box, I <laughs> I know, but I, I'm always very honest and very open because I don't see any, yeah. any need to hide. I understand why people do, and that's that's their right. Um, but, you know, I feel at like this stage, with everything that's happening, I would like to see a bit of stability remain. Although one thing comes to mind... Actually, I'm not even going to say it. It was a quote, but I'll tell you off here. All right, OK. Um, Interesting. Aye. It was... Um, I actually don't know what I'll just say it the thing I was thinking because it just made me think about the independence thing and I just don't think that, that I know I keep going back to it it just it does fascinate me to speak about it I don't think it's something that'll die off I think it's something that'll get stronger because Padre Pierce said beware of the thing that's coming beware there is and people who shall take that you would not give and it's a favourite of me it kind of keeps me sometimes when I feel a wee bit cheated yeah I kind of think to that and think well I think of that quote and I think of um, achieving socialism mm. so you know, Patrick well, Pierce was a socialist as well as a uh, nationalist. You know, we're looking at the same page from a slightly different angle. Yeah, then. yeah. And uh, you know, uh, I think about the, the you know the man's a man line from Robert Burns. Mm-hmm. You know, it's coming yet for all that. And I was actually I was tra- talking to Dr. John McDonnell about it, um, and he was saying like one of the biggest challenges that I lay. But I mean, I, I talk about this. I don't know if you ever seen the film A Very British Coup. It was made in the nineteen eighties right. about a Labour government getting into power, a radical Labour government. Right. And the forces ranged against it um, that were very insidious. And what John was saying was, like, if Labour gets into government under Jeremy Corbyn, there will be all sorts of attempts to sabotage it mm-hmm. from inside the state. So you will have massive attempts to, to undermine it, discredit it, and try and disrupt it. And that's from civil servants, from the military, from the security services. You know, this is going to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, there's going to be resistance yeah. from the establishment. You know, that's the reality of this yeah. radical change we're talking about. If you want to be extreme about it, like, look at what happened in Chile uh, to the Allende government, which is that film about Ne Passeran. Mm-hmm. And that was a coup that was staged against a left-wing democratically elected government that dared to overturn the um, American corporations that had investments in Chile. Yeah. Um, by nationalising and, and allowing the proceeds of that to flow to the people rather than to the profits of American companies. But we're talking about the same level of change to the British economy. If this happens, it's harnessing the power of the British state for good. That's the agenda of the socialist Labour government. And it's saying, you know, using the apparatus of that state to create the wealth, to harness the wealth of the country in favour of working people. So that's the mission of the Labour government if it gets into power you know and that's going to meet massive resistance you know and that's yeah. that's something where John's talking about if that in order for us to overcome that everybody needs to go into government essentially he's talking about building a mass movement party and it's now up to over half a million people in it but he's talking about we need trade unions to come into government we need 
we need organisations and charities and everybody else who believes in addressing justice in, in the country to come into government and be part of the change. Mm-hmm. So it's not just about an establishment changing over and down the street and in the government departments. It needs people to be involved in shaping the future and using that power for good. And when I talk about, you know, how do we give people a sense of liberation? How do we give people a sense of control over their future? It's not necessarily about what flags over Edinburgh Castle. It's about do these institutions and the power of this whole system work for them or not? You know, mm-hmm. and that doesn't, it really doesn't matter whether there's a border between Carlisle and Gretna or not. These things will be influencing the people regardless because the international order is the way it is. So that's what I'm talking about. Like when you say it's coming for inevitably, in a sense, it isn't inevitable because these battles have to be won every generation. Mm-hmm. And actually, the left has lost the last generation's battles against Thatcherism mm-hmm. and the established order of neoliberalism. This is a massive pushback, and it's not going to be easy to do. You know, and you see the way that you know the, the Labour Party is just—it's just like the onslaught that has to be dealt with. But also, when we got into an election where legally they couldn't do that. Mm-hmm. The change in the voting, the, the voting situation, you know. So there's all sorts of challenges in politics just now, but it's just people need to be a bit more aware of what the realities are. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've been quite frank about what I view that as, and not many people have the balls to say that, you know, because it's seen as a bit conspiracy theorist. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm actually fairly, I've got a fairly considered view that that's the situation we're facing. Maybe not. I mean, maybe it's slightly overstated, but. I wouldn't be blind to the realities of what's yeah. going on. These these are people that are recruited into the civil service. Think about who they are. Think about the most senior decision makers in these departments and so on. They're not people that are of the left. No, you know. So, so yeah. the, 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 you know, you got to have you got to have an awareness of. As Tony Benn said, no, um, how did you get into power? Who gave it to you? And how do we get rid of you? Mm-hmm. If you can't answer those questions, then you're not in a democracy. So there we have it, basically. You know, meet us at George Square next Saturday, twelve pm. <laughs> we're going to we're going to obliterate the capitalist framework that that holds up British society, and we're going to overthrow a, the right. It's a parliamentary route to socialism, not a, 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 a revolutionary route to socialism. Tell you what, you so, take the parliamentary, uh, I'll take the revolutionary, route and I'll meet you outside the House of Commons. Bring packed lunches, by the way, and bring a. Bring a raincoat because you never know. I never be. know what the weather will be like. Um, other than that, I, I look forward to seeing you at <laughs> George Square. Uh, this has been brilliant. We have talked for ages. I'm going to need to split this out too. Thanks oh, very much okay. for your time. Not Last point, let's get a night out in London soon. Yeah, sure, give us a shout. And uh, let's go to Strangeways Bars, but just make sure <laughs> a certain Tory MP stays with, you know, 10 feet away from me because he's yeah, previous. I know, that's true. There's a few dodgy characters kicking about. <laughs> I'll be one more of them. From a little tip of my pen show, that you're Theresa May, where's that money for Grenfell? Well, you thought we just forgot about Grenfell, you criminals, and you've got the cheek to call us savages. You should do some jail time, you should pay some damages. You should burn your house down and see if you can manage this. And peace be cold, which is smoke a bit of cannabis on. Don't get me for this, so be woke. This year I'm dishing out L's and free smoke. They tell us that we're fucks, I try and bust a myth. But someone told the Daily Mail, they can summer. When I see your heart smirk and I feel the vibe I see my people on the telly, I feel alive Jordan done up on them bills, I feel the pride And that glue on the bathroom, I could have cried I put
fully ride cars, royalty. We are your man of royalty. I need all of my royalties advanced. I got two sisters, one black mum. They raised the prince, raised up by black girl magic. What did you think, huh?